Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Welcome to CRISPR Cuts. Our guest today is Bill Skarns. He's a professor at the Jackson Laboratory and his lab focuses on studying gene function and disease modeling in human stem cells. So as these are amazing topics, CRISPR and stem cells, both of them, get ready to have all of your CRISPR and stem cells question answered. We're excited to have you on our podcast, Bill. Good to be here. Thanks. So before we get right into the details, could you tell us about your professional background and how did you get into stem cell research right from your PhD? Yeah, so when I did my PhD in the mid-80s, these new stem cells called embryonic stem cells were discovered in the mouse. And these were hugely influential on my career since then because the very fact that you could work with and genetically engineer a stem cell, a mouse embryonic stem cell, and use that cell to make a mouse with that genetic mutation was so fascinating to me. So I'm fairly new to human stem cells. Uh, most of my work in the past have been done with mouse stem cells, but I really see the future in human stem cells as the best model cell to study development and basic biology in humans. And I think after you started working in stem cells, there were a number of programs that you were a part of, and one of them which I saw was the Bay Genomics program. Could you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah, so gene trapping was something that I developed as a PhD student, and when I uh, took my first job at, in the Bay Area at Berkeley, we really wanted to use this technology to generate thousands of mutations in the mouse to understand the function of every gene in the mouse. And Bay Genomics was an NIH-funded program with colleagues in the Bay Area, which attempted to generate thousands of these uh, mutation-bearing mouse embryonic stem cells. So that was uh, the first, I, I guess, large-scale project that I was involved with. I think it was very successful, but the technology was limited. We, we could only uh, cover so much of the genome, and we realized later that we need better tools, better methods, if we want to really make a complete set of mutations in all genes in the mammalian genome. That was in fact going to be my next question that when you were working on these projects obviously you must have required gene editing tools. From then fast forward to now where you have CRISPR which makes things much easier. Can you talk about the transition and how it was for you? Yeah it's really interesting. Mouse cybernetic stem cells was one of the few cell types, mammalian cell types that you could actually engineer efficiently. A lot of work from many different labs went into developing the best ways to target genes in, in the mouse, not using CRISPR, not using these um, new tools that we have. And it became pretty efficient. So about 40% of the cells from any given experiment on average would be correctly targeted. That's pretty efficient, but it's only achievable in mouse embryonic stem cells. People next tried to do this in human stem cells and the efficiencies were so low that it wasn't even worthwhile trying those experiments until CRISPR came along. So what CRISPR has done is, is it made any cell type that you uh, can culture in a dish amenable to genetic engineering. But for the last, before this, for the 30 years before this, there, there were very few cell types that could be edited with that conventional technology. 
yeah i do think crispr has definitely revolutionized the field and it's always interesting to see that from a perspective of someone who's worked on genome editing before crispr and now so that's that's an interesting take but even though crispr is so much more convenient it's still not perfect and in fact one of your recent papers a methods paper was also talking about how you can improve hdr outcomes and go for scarless editing so could you just talk about the concept of scarless editing and why is it important yeah so to understand a disease you have to make the same mutation that you find in the individual and that is often a single nucleotide change now to model disease accurately you want to make only that single nucleotide change and nothing else because if you introduce other kinds of mutations that maybe promote the engineering project those mutations could confound the analysis of the model so we want to be as strict as possible and make only the change that you find in the human disease individual and nothing else so that requires scarless mutation it's a technical thing that if you just make a single nucleotide change in a gene it will be subject to recutting by the cas recombinase because it's it's recognized with mm-hmm. one base change rec- still recognized so that reduces the efficiency so there is a challenge in making scarless mutations with that that faithfully recapitulate the disease allele because of this property of cas9 to hang around and remodify the modified allele itself so we spent a lot of time looking at different culture conditions and uh additives that would help promote and retain this single base pair change and i think we were very successful in finding three conditions which actually shift the uh, balance completely in favor of of homology directed repair so the problem we have now is that we have uh shifted it so much that we just get homozygous single nucleotide changes and we need actually in many cases if it's dominant heterozygous cells So we're now trying to figure out how to how to, make it. to control the zygosity of these uh the experimental outcomes of these editing attempts so that we get equal numbers of heterozygous and homozygous clones. So in a sense we're a victim of our own success. We can edit very efficiently but we end up with a, a genotype that is not necessarily useful for all of our studies. So we're now tackling this problem of how to control the zygosity of the editing events themselves. It's right. That's that's a good problem to have. So, you spoke a little bit about disease modeling. My next question was stem cells in particular are being used a lot for disease modeling. Do you see that becoming a new standard for understanding disease models and could you speak a little bit about all the work that's going into using CRISPR in stem cells for this particular branch of research? Yeah, so when it comes to disease modeling for many years the best model we had was the mouse i still think there's a lot of good work that can be done in the mouse but a lot of people are turning now towards human stem cells to try to model disease feeling that it might be more accurate to do it this way than to look at a mouse so the challenge and to some extent i hear with that uh, that view but to me the challenge will be can you really create the disease relevant cell type in a dish can you recreate the interactions that cell will have with other cells in the body and so we're talking about more and more sophisticated ways of tissue engineering 
from iPS cells to create organ systems, potentially, in order to understand how that disease mutation affects the biology of the individual and promotes disease. So I think the challenge with iPS models is can you get to the relevant cell type and can you recapitulate more of what's happening in vivo in a, in a cell culture dish? And I think that's a huge problem. With all this progress in just genome editing as well as in stem cell research, what do you uh, speculate the field will look like in, say, five years from now? Well, I think we're going to actually get really good at both editing and differentiation. I think there's huge progress being made in both areas to make more and more sophisticated mutations in the iPS cells and more and more sophisticated protocols to make organs in a dish. So. I see the two technologies going hand in hand, and they both are advancing quickly. So I think it will be possible in five years to make some pretty, pretty good um, models of human disease through editing and iPS differentiation. Yeah, I'm excited about that. We would love to see how things work out. Now, one last thing I want to touch upon before we end is that you are joining our advisory board. So welcome. And we are really excited about your association with Synthego. Could you just talk a little bit about what do you think is Synthego's potential in stem cell CRISPR research in this field? Yeah, so I'm really interested to be uh, advising Synthego because I think they have all of the components or elements that are needed to really take cell engineering to the next level, which is high throughput cell engineering. I think when you get to that sort of throughput and capability, you can start thinking about a lot more kinds of experiments than you could if you're struggling to make one mutation in, uh, in your lab. So I think Syntico has the possibility to do high throughput editing of cells and provide the community and its users with a whole range of products that are going to be important and almost necessary for progress in the future. So to give one example, I think we now think in disease modeling, for example, we think about oh, let's make this single nucleotide change. But I think what you want to do potentially is to make all single nucleotide changes that are associated with that disease. That may be 20 to 40. And you might start thinking about, well, we also want to make that mutation in a variety of different genetic backgrounds to see how the genetic background influences the phenotype. So now you're talking about 160 mutations. So if you have the capability to make edit cells efficiently, then you can generate the necessary cells to do some experiments that are, are not really thought about at the moment, but will be probably very important in the future. So, yeah, I'm very excited to be part of the advisory team for Synthego to help them on their journey to making editing and IPS cells a useful product for, for, the, for the whole scientific community. Thank you. Yeah, we are excited to have you as well. And I'm absolutely sure we're going to benefit a lot from your guidance and expertise in this field. So we always end with a fun question, and I have one for you, which is if you did not work in stem cells, which you've done for so many years now, what other field or even profession do you think of that you, you would like to have been a part of? I can't think of doing anything else but science because I think every scientific problem is interesting. If I was to choose another field, I don't think it would matter what field it was in because I think in every field you have a problem to solve and how you go about that is, to me, the interesting part of science. So okay. I don't have any specific area. It's a matter of 
chance what area you end up in, isn't it? And depends on which lab you choose, which lab gives you a postdoc opportunity. Yeah. I, I don't think it matters what... Yeah, you would be as happy in any happy other field than just solving scientific problems. That's right. It's, it's all about the science. I agree. All right. Thank you so much for this great podcast episode. It was great having you. Thank you very much. It was fun. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at CRISPRCuts at Synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo. Produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.